Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'll be concluding my series on conditioning, and I'll be discussing how to train the phosphocreatin system to improve your capability to perform short duration, yet high-intensity activities like sprinting, jumping, or like hitting a golf ball. If you have kids engaged in team sports, you probably want to pay extra attention to what I'm about to go over because this is one of the most misunderstood and poorly trained energy systems. Let's dig in. As a quick review, there are three bioenergy systems that work in concert to create energy in the form of ATP or adenosine triphosphate. Now, ATP is the primary fuel source for your cells to perform both cognitive and physical work. Now, all three of these energy systems are contributing to ATP production in the body at the same time, but depending on the duration and the intensity of exercise, one or two energy systems may contribute more to the metabolic production of ATP than maybe another. Now, there are two broad energy system categories, the aerobic and the anaerobic. The aerobic energy system utilizes oxygen to generate ATP, and the anaerobic energy systems don't use oxygen to generate ATP. And there are two subcategories for anaerobic metabolism, and that's lactic and alactic, or the phosphocreatin system. When the duration of the activity or exercise is very short, but very high intensity, the phosphocreatin system's contribution to energy production is really high. And the reason for this is because only one metabolic reaction is required to provide ATP. This reaction is catalyzed by creatine phosphokinase, which is a highly abundant enzyme, and the reaction occurs quickly. The reaction is rather simple. Water is used to cleave one of the phosphate groups from ATP, and this process is known as hydrolysis. And this reaction is very exergonic, which means it produces a ton of energy. The byproduct is ADP, which is adenosine diphosphate, a free inorganic phosphate, and some hydrogen ions. And that's it. So if you want to take a deep dive on the bioenergetics of the phosphorin creatine system, I've added a link in the show notes for a paper that was published in Nature that is really good. It's really in-depth. I think you'll find it very useful. It's probably something you'll want to keep. So let's get practical now. Let's say you were to hop on a stationary bike, like you warmed up, and then you did a 30-second maximal sprint. The first six seconds or so, approximately 60% of the ATP produced would be from the phosphocreatine system. And somewhere around 10 seconds, there would be a precipitous fall off in the contribution of this system. You see, the phosphocreatine system can produce a ton of ATP really quickly, but its capacity is limited. And so other energy systems like the anaerobic lactic system, which we discussed previously in another episode, begins to contribute more ATP because the duration is getting longer, but the intensity is still high. So you can see that the phosphocreatin system is critical for power speed type of activities like jumping or throwing or sprinting or striking a golf ball. But this is one of the systems that is the most neglected energy systems for development. Something you'll soon learn as we start discussing how to train your body for improving things like strength and power and speed in upcoming episodes is that when you exercise or train the body, and I prefer to use the word training as it's a little bit more deliberate sounding, 
that you don't just impact one thing in isolation. You see, your body is a system. So for instance, let's say you train for long distance running. Your muscles will adapt to utilize oxygen more efficiently by increasing capillarization. You'll increase mitochondrial density. There'll be specific enzymatic changes in the muscle. Your heart will literally remodel itself to push more blood per beat. Your tendons and ligaments will strengthen to handle tons of eccentric stress. And your blood volume will increase so you can carry more oxygen to your tissues. So you see, nothing occurs in isolation. You're not just training an energy system, you're also training all these other pieces. And when you train the phosphocreatine system, you'll also be impacting the output of the central nervous system. And this is a very powerful training adaptation. And we'll discuss this in later episodes, but here's something that's very important to know about energy system development that I haven't touched on yet, but I think it's important to discuss now. Every energy system we discussed has a power and a capacity. Power is the maximal amount of energy per unit time that can be provided by that system. So let's say the maximal amount of ATP that can be generated in a short period of time. Capacity is the total work output that can be done. So for instance, sprinting five seconds, resting, repeating, resting, repeating. This is really critical to understand and to train because what's the use if you can only produce a large output once? You want to have the capacity to repeat it again and again and again. And this requires that your body adapts from a metabolic standpoint to repeat these efforts. So if you have kids that are competing in repeat sprint sports like football or soccer, field hockey, lacrosse, etc., you need to develop the phosphocreatine system and the aerobic system, which we're going to do a whole episode on later. And it's called improving repeat sprint ability. But I think parents out there or anybody that's involved in recreational sport, this is going to be of great value. So let's talk about how to build the power or the maximum output of this system. And it's exactly the same way that you improve speed development. So you need to perform maximal bouts of exercise for about five to 10 seconds with complete recovery between efforts. So for instance, if you were to sprint 20 yards, then you would rest for two minutes. My rule of thumb for sprinting is for every 10 yards or 10 meters that you sprinted, you rest for one minute. When I was training Olympic caliber sprinters, we'd rest for 10 to 20 minutes between hundred meter efforts. So we would like literally they would sprint as fast and as hard as they can for hundred meters and rest. And the reason for that is, and we'll talk about speed later, at another time, is that in all, the only way to improve speed is you have to train at like near maximal capacity. So here's your recipe, all out efforts, less than 10 seconds with complete rest. So let's say you're a mixed martial artist. You could do five to 10 seconds of maximal effort on a bag, followed by two minutes of light jogging or footwork to recovery or shaking the arms. And you could repeat this for five to 10 seconds. The key is the outputs have gotta be really, really high. If you're a golfer, you could perform three to four maximal effort rotational wall throws against a wall and then rest for two minutes. You could do some light mobility during these recovery periods. The reason why this is such a poorly trained energy system is because of one factor, patience. Most coaches don't have the patience for it. But if you do train this well, you can dramatically improve the energetic power to perform explosive efforts. I mean, why would you want to try to do something explosive, unexplosive all the time? 
It just, it doesn't make sense. The key thing is patience. You got to carve out some time for this. Next, let's talk about how you can build the capacity to repeat power speed efforts. And this is critical for team sports like basketball, football, rugby, soccer, like I mentioned earlier. And I'm pulling these methods directly from some of the giants in the field of human performance, such as Viktor Selyanov, Vladimir Isserin, Yuri Verkashansky. So the first method I want to discuss is like a maximal effort method. So you would perform maximal efforts for seven to 10 seconds with a one to one and a half minute rest between efforts for 10 to 12 sets. So I recommend doing things like when you're going maximal to kind of reduce the eccentric component of the effort. So like doing hill sprints or bike sprints or assault bike or rebound medicine ball throws. There's a bit more eccentric, but with a rebound throw, but you can kind of catch and rotate. So the first one is maximal efforts. The next one you're going to see is not going to be maximal. It's going to be really high because the duration's a bit longer. So it'd be 10 to 20 second efforts with one and a half to two minutes rest. I'm not a huge fan of that, but it's another method you could employ. And then the third one is, is really difficult. You would do 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off for six to eight sets or reps. You would then do active recovery for four to six minutes. So you could get on an assault bike and go 10 seconds really hard, rest for 10 seconds, do that six times. You're gonna, your output's gonna start diminishing Okay, over those six reps. But then what you would do is you would do active rest. You get off the bike, you could walk around, you could do some light mobility work for four to six minutes. So now you've refilled the tank from an energetic perspective, and then you do this for two to three series. I really like this one. So my two favorite are maximal effort for capacity development, and then this method three. So maximal effort again is efforts of seven to 10 seconds with a minute to minute and a half rest for 10 to 12 sets. So you're not getting full recovery. And then I like this method three, 10 seconds on, 10 seconds off. Something I do wanna mention here before we close out this podcast today is creatine supplementation. In the coming months, I'm gonna be releasing a podcast with Pratik Patel on creatine, but as a sneak preview, creatine is a wonderful supplement that has a whole host of health benefits, including potential improvements for brain health, but it's a great supplement for power, speed, strength athletes, or really anyone as the health benefits are really wide ranging. So if you are training for the the phosphocreatine system, you're training for power, speed events or sports, I highly recommend creatine supplementation. Creatine is stored in the skeletal muscle as free creatine and as phosphocreatine. It plays a really important role in substrate-level phosphorylation and the resynthesis of ATP. And like I said again, it's really critical for power speed activities where the depletion of phosphocreatine contributes to fatigue. It is well accepted in the scientific literature that supplementing with creatine is an effective strategy to increase intramuscular phosphocreatine stores by up to 20 to 40%. And a safe daily dose is 0.03 grams per kilogram of body weight. So if you're a 200-pound male, that's roughly three grams a day. If you've listened to this show before, you've heard me say it. I really like Thorns supplements. I really like their creatine supplements. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for how you can get that at a discount. But let's go ahead and summarize today's episode. The phosphocreatine system is used to fuel intense activities that are less than 10 seconds long. To maximize the capabilities of this system, you should train both the power, the maximum output of it, and the capacity of this system. 
If you really enjoyed this series on conditioning, please let us know by leaving a comment and review in the Apple Podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.